This is Cult Scene's K-Pop Unmuted, a podcast dedicated to in-depth discussion of K-Pop. We're your hosts, Stephen Knight. Tamar Herman. And on this episode, we're discussing June 2018 in K-Pop. And tomorrow we're recording this. Uh, we couldn't think of a worse time to record than as it's starting to get dark on July 4th. So if you hear explosions in the background, that's uh, there's probably an explanation for that. It's our special effects. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll just edit them all out. We'll fix yeah. it in post. I don't know if you'll hear it in, from New York City's. I've, I've never actually watched the fireworks from the city. So I don't know if I could hear them. But we'll find yeah, out. These are all unauthorized fireworks. Mm. And the thing is, it's a police station like two blocks from my house, but still, it doesn't seem to be deterring anybody. These guys are very patriotic down there in Tennessee. That must be it. <laughs> so what did you what did you think of June? Like, were you a fan? Well, June, so many of my favorites came out with stuff in June. Um, I know June was busy up there in your area. I didn't make it to KCON <laughs> this year, but I know that uh, you and Alexis had a big weekend. Oh my gosh, it was... <laughs> A lot. Yeah. KCON's always really busy, and this year felt busier than usual for a variety of reasons. I don't even know if it was. Like, it just felt it. Like, I'm still, I wouldn't say recovering, but I'm still, like, catching up. Like, I still have three more interviews that need to come out at the time that we're recording this. I haven't published them yet. Yeah, you're, you're just cranking them out based on your Twitter feed and the selfies and the articles that are coming out. Yeah. You've been working hard. Yeah, it feels like I'm like behind even though I know I'm not. I just like can't humanly possibly get them out any faster. I mean, I could, but they'd be crap. So I'm trying to right. avoid the crap. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was like a lot of fun. I'm sorry you couldn't make it. You've Have you ever come to KCON? In 2013, mm. I went to a cake. Well, it was it was just KCON, but it was in L.A. Mm, that was the second one or the first one? That was the second one. That was a good year. Yeah, I didn't start going until I think 2014 in LA or 2015. And that was also, but that was the last like outside year. And like, thank God, because New York is outside and it's just so hot. I literally just sit in the press room and do not go outside at all because it's gross always. Yeah, it was pretty, Los Angeles was pretty tough. <sighs> No, they do it inside in LA, and it's really nice. Like I'm, yeah. I'm excited for next time, and hopefully, any of our listeners who are there will come and like say hi. That'd be great. I like saying hi to people, and even if not, you don't have to say hi. Just let us know if you're having fun. But yeah, KCON's always a lot of fun. We got some really good pictures. Um, I was really happy with the weekend. It's some, it's really stressful. It's like the most stressful weekend of the year for me. And, like, I always feel like I should, like, you know, be hanging out with, like, my friends who are there and, like, enjoying. But it's not, uh, <laughs> it's not, I wouldn't it's say it's not, too. yeah, it's not, I wouldn't say it's not fun, but it's definitely, like, work mode tomorrow's on. And I'm always kind of in work mode because I'm, like, crazy. But um, this year I kind of let myself, I wouldn't say, like, let myself, like, offer anything. But instead of doing full-length reviews for Billboard, I discussed with my editors in advance that we do, like, highlights, like, five things that happened because we felt that, you know, people don't read concert reviews. Yeah. So it was a lot of... That makes sense. Yeah, so we just kind of highlighted things. And I think, honestly, the coolest thing is, I don't know if you saw the video, but Red Velvet debuted some English verses for Bad Boy. 
I saw that and I saw your article when you uh, talked to them about that too. Oh my gosh, I was so excited. Yeah, we did, yeah. we did a video interview and it was the first one I've ever done like where I've been by camera, like where I've been the questioner. So it was yeah. really, really exciting for me. And I'm, That's cool. Yeah, they're really nice. I don't care too much about having lyrics in English, but I like it as an indication that they might be focusing on uh, you know, doing some more international stuff. I'd like to, I'd love to be able to see them sometime. Yeah, I really hope they come back. They... This was like, it's crazy that this was the first time they've ever been in the East Coast. Like, come on, girls. Yeah. Like, can some girls come and visit us too? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will say that it was really, uh, I wouldn't say like it was great. Like, it wasn't entirely even. But there were, each night there were two female acts and five acts each night. So that's pretty great for, K for K-pop and K-Con. Because like, there have been years where there's only been like, one female act for every four male acts so yeah we're getting a little better it really seems to be a struggle yeah and i remember even uh when i went in 2013 it really struck me that fx was one of the early acts in the night and that just seemed so weird to me they're they're one of the top groups to me in k-pop you know of all time and they're they were in the first half of the show so yeah well that was the I know we're like, we want to talk about other things, but that was the really weird thing about the second night. The first night had Red Velvet second to last. So like that seemed appropriate. Um, and then Super Junior was last. So like, cool, that that made a lot of sense. And Super Junior killed yeah. it. Honestly, I've never, uh, like I'm a big Super Junior fan as we've talked about before, but like even people who didn't know Super Junior enjoyed the show because they just are so good at putting on a show. And I was so excited. Um, but the second night, 101 ended out. And 101's great, but like they're, they're pretty new and they're only lasting so long and EXID and then NCT were the two acts preceding them and it was yeah. really weird like in the moment I was kind of just like oh okay and then as we walked out I was just like wait like people were super hyped for EXID because everyone knows their songs and then NCT had a lot of fans in the crowd and then 101 like people liked but you know like people aren't getting super attached to them because they're so short-lived so it just seems like a really weird choice to the degree I've never done this before. And I actually said something to one of the like KCON people who I work with because of press stuff. And I literally said like, who made that decision? And she was just like, um, yeah, I'll take your feedback. Thanks. <laughs> it, like, I mean, I know they're an Mnet group, but it, it felt really, you would look around the crowd and the crowd, mostly people were holding the NCT little green box light stick thingies. Those are really weird light sticks. Have you seen them? No. Oh, go Google, go like look up NCT light sticks. They're very interesting. Yeah. They're like little squares of green and supposedly the panels can like move and you can open it and there's a box inside. <laughs> like, Oh, cool. So people are theorizing that because they have so many subunits, each unit will end up getting a color and you can like attach them mm -hmm. onto each other. Yeah, that's tough. I, th I think we're running out of colors. I did a map on, you know, K-popularity had to assign colors to the groups and there's, there's not any colors left no, for K-pop. No colors are left. <laughs> No. Um, now that I mean, a Chunga has like three, and like it used to be, people were getting two, and now they're all getting like three and four. It's very interesting, but it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that was my KCON feelings, I guess. Well, as you said, there's a lot going on in K-pop outside of KCON. Let's go ahead and get into our picks, as we usually do. We'll each pick three songs that we think are interesting or particularly liked or have something to say about. Uh, do you want to? start sure so my first one that i'm going to talk about is taeyeon's circus which i'm obsessed with it's a b-side from her something new 
EP and I always like to on like for some people she's not a great fit like they don't they're not into ballads they're not into whatever but I always like Taeyeon's music, like whatever she puts out, I'm a really big fan of. I really like her tones. I really like her melodies. I just like everything she does. And Circus, I really, you know, I listened to it the first time. I was like, oh, I like this. And then every single time I listened to it, I was like, oh, I like this a lot. I don't know if you listened to the whole EP, but it really stood out to me because it kind of had that that up and down tonal like exercise on her part where like she did like like raise her vocal tone like between each vowel. Um, so like the oh, yeah. and she'd like keep on like dropping and raising her tone in the chorus and I really liked that I saw a lot of people responding to it really well I just thought it was a really good depiction of what she can do without being super overpowering or super poppy like I think I really like like her singles like I and Y and stuff but like this was very I wouldn't say it's experimental but it started off seeming like it was a ballad and then it got really cool for the chorus and I really liked that because it felt very much what I think Tan's tried to do, which is, you know, keep to her MO as like a ballad singer, but she's also like not just doing the exact same thing over and over and over again, even when it does feel like, I mean, I don't know if you heard her Japanese single Stay. Yeah, that seemed a little more down the line what you would expect. Yeah, I mean, it was a rehash of I. Sorry, sorry. It was a good rehash of I, um, but I think Circus was so much more interesting and I think it was just something that I was like, I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, the thing I noticed about it was it seemed like the chorus and the bridge kind of switched roles, Mm -hmm. you know, in the chorus. They dropped out a lot of the instrumentation and it's just the piano and Taeyeon singing. It sort of steps back a little bit in intensity. And then the bridge, which is often kind of a break from the intensity of a song, was where you got, you know, it's it's more restrained than a lot of her songs, but where you got her really singing and, and bringing it a little bit. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the, I like the, the main release better but that was that is one of my favorite b-sides off that album yeah yeah okay yeah (laughs) what about you what was your first pick for the month well so my first pick in every way is eg and oz song run from her album at the end of the month featuring gray spelled the american way (laughs) g-r-a-y and maybe i'm not on the right social media accounts i didn't i had no idea that she was coming out with an album neither (laughs) and as soon as i saw it i you know i went and downloaded and i saw there were 12 tracks and i thought this is great, you know, 12 EG and Ah tracks. And then I started looking at the titles of them. And this this album is not, it's not even a repackage. This is like a career retrospective. <laughs> it goes it goes all the way through to the first song that she performed on K-pop Star. So there's really only three new songs and a new version of that song, Yum Yum, I think it's called from the, uh, from K-pop star yum yum it was so fun (laughs) it's good yeah it's really good uh but run is complex and interesting song it's not her usual uh you know it it has like a jazz solo bridge that she plays on a synthesizer but it's a lot more i guess electronic and not as acoustical and, and jazzy it's a lot of her stuff what i really noticed about it was how it plays a lot with rhythm and tempo there's instruments that are playing at a really fast tempo and some that are at the same time playing at a slow tempo and 
the vocals do similar kind of things. Sometimes they're rushing through a part of it. And then there might be a long pause where there's no lyrics or, you know, other parts of the song where they're drawing out their words. So it has kind of that stop and start feel to it. But the most interesting thing to me was what they do in certain sections of the song with the beat. So, you know, a a measure in a pop song generally has four beats to it. If you have a dance song, the bass drum or the electronic equivalent might hit on every beat that what they call four on the floor where it says do, 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 do. Um, And there's other patterns. A common pattern is where you emphasize the first beat and maybe the third beat. But in in lots of parts of the song, they have a, a little synth blast that comes in and emphasizes the first beat of a measure and the fourth beat, which is pretty unusual. And the fourth beat is usually the weakest beat. But then every other measure, that synth blast doesn't come in at all and none of the beats are emphasized. It's, it's very sort of off balance and, you know, it doesn't sound random, but it's not something that your brain picks up on as quickly as you do a repeating pattern, you know, in four beats. It's the kind of thing you would expect from EG&I. You know, it's, it's not necessarily a jazz thing, but it's a complex and interesting, you know, trying to figure out what's going on in this song. I listened to it a bunch of times and it's, it doesn't get old. There's plenty of other aspects of it that you can kind of pick apart and listen to. But yeah, I really like Yijina, so I was happy that she, you know, tried something new. But I definitely wasn't, I only found out about it like, I think two days ago. So when you said that you were going to do it, I was like, oh, okay, I, I think I know what you're going to talk about. And now you're just like talking about all these beats and underlying stuff. And I was just like, yeah, I wasn't listening to it that intensely because I didn't have to do a review for it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's not something that you would easily notice. Uh, but it's a, I think it's a good combination, you know. He, there, there's a lot of contrast between Gray and Ijina, you know, their their voices and their styles. And, but I think it worked really well. Yeah, when I saw that he like was going to be on it, my first thought was, oh, is this going to work? And it worked so nicely. Like I hope they do some more stuff together. It was a little different from what she's done before, so I was like, oh, I hope this is what she wants to be doing instead of like trying to remain relevant. Well, she was one of the producers, so I, she had a lot of input oh, into it. Oh, that's good to know. That's yeah. nice to hear. <laughs> All right, so what do we have next? So the first one I'm going to talk about is the sad one, and that's going to be Shiny's R page, which was terribly emotional for me. Um, I don't know if you've read the lyrics, but you should read the lyrics. I'll tell you the truth. I, I pulled up the lyric video, and I got like five seconds in and was like, mm, no, I can't do this. Like about like you couldn't listen to it or you didn't like the song? <laughs> No, no, I don't, I don't, I don't need, I mean, it, it's, the whole thing is, is sad yeah, enough, terrible. but uh, I, I don't need to read, read those lyrics. I mean, someday maybe, but uh, I don't need that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. give them a lot of props for putting this out and I hope that it came from the right people and I keep, hope it came from the members, but just like the lyrics yeah. were devastating. Like the song was really nice. There was this really nice aural beat that I, I love and you could really hear each of the the four members' vocals really nicely. These are from colorcodedlyrics.com, the the site that I go to ten for lyric translations most of the time. And like the lyrics were just terrible. Like not terribly, but the terribly heartbreaking phrases are in this song. Like, 
our voices are flying. We know it'll reach you wherever you are. Everything in it is packaged into this metaphor that they're writing a page of like the book of shiny. So like the story of light and Chinese name represents light. So like, it's just really, I, I, I had to write about this and I was seriously sitting there bawling my ass out, just reading these lyrics that morning. Like there's a reference even to like their debut date of May 25th, 2008, like boys shining brightly, like green waves this spring, that time will spread and flow forever. Like there was so much intent from the lyrics and they wrote and the shiny members wrote the lyrics with Kenzie, who is SM's, I wouldn't say primary songwriter, but she's one of their most prominent ones. And she worked with every single act at SM. So you know that this was very, even if like, it's unclear who wrote what, but even if she, even if the members didn't write like all the lyrics, like she she's worked with them for so many years that these were definitely very like personal lyrics and personal messages, and it ends like on this final final whoa whoa like ending with the like the phrase you did well, and it's just like and that yeah. was something that Jonghyun put in his in his letter that he wanted to hear that, and so like right. I. I really think like so many times like you hear that K-pop has like no meaning and has no like it's all manufactured anything and for this one first of all I don't care if it's manufactured it's beautiful regardless <laughs> like I don't care who this came from like I, I think it, I mean I, I believe it came from the members but like it doesn't matter like these lyrics are so beautiful and so heart-wrenching and just and I even tweeted it out I think I said like if you're gonna listen to the song like don't do it in public I was messaging friends that morning like whatever you do do not listen to the Chinese song while you're in your office like you should not do that yeah I think the song itself was beautiful and I think the lyrics were really 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 poignant You know, I wasn't sure if they were going to do this, something like this. And I think that was something I was kind of nervous that they would or they wouldn't do. And I think that Shiny pulled it off in a way that only Shiny could. Where, you know, like they created a really great song and this song is full of meaning. And they still pulled it off ridiculously well. And I don't know, I feel like many other K-pop groups in the industry wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't say own up to it, but address it so like, blatantly it's a tough thing yeah i mean it's hard for me to imagine it's it's uh, you know you did well is like the most heartbreaking phrase i can think of right now and and for those guys to be performing that and working on writing that and so on um you know hopefully it's helping them work work through it which luckily is something i don't necessarily have to do but um yeah that's and it's on top of it it's yeah it's a nice song yeah it's just like you know you hope you hope that I took your advice on, on listening to oh, it. Oh, good. You should. I did not listen to it in <laughs> or in a coffee shop. Um, yeah. So I just, I really felt like, aside from the music, because the music is beautiful, you know, like Shiny always puts out. For this album in particular, they kind of were going, I don't think they necessarily like, and someone can attack me for this, go for it. Go ahead. I don't think the story of light necessarily was like the epitome of what Shiny's music is. 
Like, I don't think it was like their best three singles ever, but I think they were all really good shiny singles and they all sounded like shiny and they all were really representative of what shiny is. So when you're trying to tell, you know, the story of shiny, this is what it sounded like to me. And I think it worked out really well. And I think ending with our page just like killed me. (laughs) Like it was, it was so terribly sad. Um, But it was really beautiful and, you know, like props to everyone involved working on it. Yeah, so I'm like sitting here like tearing up again. So next song, <laughs> next song, Stephen. All right. Well, I'm going to take us to the other end of the spectrum uh, with UNB and Blackheart. UNB is the project group that came out of the unit, which I guess is interesting to think about now that uh, Produce 48 is the talk uh, of the K-pop world. But this song, I mean, this one kind of came out of nowhere to me too when I first heard it it's it's one of these songs that's sort of like they threw out the rule book and just did really fun song and then i saw that the producers were it was a collaboration between london noise and uh ryan jun and there's a couple of other producer credits hayden chapman and andy love and they've done some you know some really great songs uh speaking of shiny i think they did view and married to the music and dum dum so that gives you any idea of, of what kind mm-hmm. of song it is. What's really cool to me about it is how this song kind of takes you on this walk through time. It starts out with a kind of jazzy piano, and it sounds like a bad recording of a piano. And on top of that, they've got a really prominent vinyl record hiss and pop. You know, that's not that uncommon a thing to have when you're trying to communicate this is like a retro song but this is it's really I've I've never heard it so strong as in the first time they go through that little piano melody and then there's a distorted vocal sample that comes in and then they play the same piano melody again but if you listen it's it's a much better piano recording and there's a lot less vinyl record hiss so right there is giving you an idea of where they're going with this and by the way there's the music video and the album version are different so if what I'm saying doesn't quite match up with what you're hearing, that that may be one reason that the intro on the music video is a little bit longer. Uh, and the whole song is about 30 seconds longer on the music video. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. And I think there may be a third version too, but I'll get to that in a second. It, uh, after the piano melody is played twice, or depending on what version you're listening to, then the instrumentals become more and more electronic until they're, you know, about as artificial as you can have in a song and then eventually it's sort of all those different eras of music mashed together all those different sounds come together uh, and then they go back and start again with the vintage piano sound and sort of go through that pattern again so that was an interesting thing you know i mean you can look at it Originally, I thought it was just kind of a fake out, you know, how a song might start and sound like it's a particular style or genre, and then it transitions to something totally different. And I think this song is is more than that. It's it's really all part of a continuum that the song goes through. But the reason I think there may be even another version of the song is there's something really weird. There's a little mystery in the music video. So after the second chorus, the second time they go back to that distorted piano melody, they show one of the members playing a piano and more or less, you know, playing along 
with it. it looks like he's playing the part and they add in what's not in the album version but they add in where he sort of runs his finger down the piano i thought that was called a trill but i looked it up but apparently it's, that's called a glissando mm-hmm. or whatever that word would be if it were pronounced properly but then they, they when they play the piano melody the second time in the music video there's someone there with a an acoustic guitar but there's not any guitar in the audio <laughs> and so i'm wondering whether I mean, at the time, they did they film the music video at a time when the song, when they had an acoustic guitar part in there, and then they decided that wasn't working and they switched it out? It doesn't seem like you would just put a guitar in there for no reason, but I'd love to, I'd love to know the answer to that. But either way, it's a super fun song. I just keep on getting sad and like upset about these temporary groups because like some of them work out so, so well, and it's just like... Why do you need to break up? I understand contracts and everything, but why? Oh, yeah. But anyway, one group that did not fly under the radar, I'm going to probably not really even talk about the song itself. I'm just going to get really, really, really freaking excited that Blackpink made history almost a decade after Wonder Girls did and landed on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. They are the first Korean, I think, female act to land on the Billboard Hot 100 chart since 2009 with Wonder Girls' English version of Nobody. That's like insane <laughs> like there have been a lot there not a lot but there have been a few albums on the the billboard 200 chart there have been no singles and it's just like this is so upsetting and so sad to me that female k-pop artists like you know like i love their music and i think they're great like there's no love for them the same way and like i'm not saying like there's anything wrong with fans male artists i love male artists but it's just kind of like sad to me that it literally took nearly a decade for this to happen but i think like for it to be do 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 is really funny because the song like you know like i'm I'm not gonna lie like the song is like a is not like a groundbreaking historic song like i think it's a really fun song and i think it has like some really cool transitions and some moments that are really interesting but i'm gonna go on the record and i really should not go on the record and say you know that dance break and this in the end of it it sounds like it's taken from yeah. yeji's anaxanamen oh wow i'll have to go and look back and listen to that i agree it sounds it sounds exactly like what you would expect from black yeah it, i don't think it surprised anybody yeah i mean like i think like it, it went exactly where it it should have gone and i think it was exactly like fun and bombastic and really like I wouldn't say like inspiring but like anthemic and like it's exactly what Blackpink should be doing I was a little disappointed though because I'm not gonna lie like their their other stuff like their first few singles had all kind of like done exactly that and then pushed the boundary a little bit but this was kind of like I wouldn't say it's a Boombaya 2.0 but it definitely had the same feel as Boombaya to me yeah and yeah. it was definitely more interesting and like it the transitions were really cool and I think it was fun to like you know like see Jenny rapping again and Lisa like killed it and I saw a really cool analysis of what the music video was about I don't know if I believe it but I thought it was really cool that fans were reading into that uh, there was like some behind the scene messaging and I don't know if you saw but we did a, a video interview with them from Billboard and like Jisoo said flat out that there was hidden messaging in the music video so that was really cool mm-hmm. um, her yeah. scene was supposed to be like just you know very self-aware retrospective about the celebrity lifestyle and there's a big gorgeous picture of her behind her where she's wearing her pink wig and and people are all taking pictures and like they want to see her like at her best but then when she falls they also are taking pictures of her and somebody pointed out in this analysis that I saw that the the cameras are being held like guns 
so that fits into the do 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 do. Yeah, after like, she falls, that beforehand they're just being held. Got, like phones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought that was really cool and really aware, and I didn't notice that the first time I watched the music video. It's very subtle. Yeah, I mean, I think the music video, like, I think it's a really good and fun song. I think. Do we need another really fun and good song from Blackpink? Apparently, because it made history. <laughs> but I'm, I'm really, I'm hoping. I really liked that, like you know, they did with Bumbaya was paired with Whistle, and then playing with Fire was paired with Stay. So I was really hoping for another double single. But I think what they may have intended was to do 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 with Forever Young, which like is not as you know intriguing of a of a dichotomy as the other ones were. So I think, I don't know if they just decided not to do it or if it wasn't the intent at all, but the album overall seemed a lot more of like the same idea of what Blackpink is. So maybe this was them trying to really figure out what Blackpink is. But I think that, you know, it's it's really cool that like they made history. It's really exciting to see so many people support them. And I'm really excited that like this happened. So yeah, that was not an analysis of the song at all, but just me being really, really excited that Blackpink just did something amazing. Yeah, well, I think that's the most interesting thing about the song. And, you know, Blackpink really has a lot of potential for international appeal, I think, just because of the type of music they do and their language skills and, you know, performance skills and so on. I don't know if YG is the best uh, agency to be to make that happen, but they, they, you know, intrinsically have that potential. All right, so my last one is uh, Yuju's single, Yuju from G-Friend. She's the main vocalist. I always get, I have trouble keeping track of what the difference is between main vocalist and lead vocalist because they'll sound like the same thing to me. But she's the main vocalist of G-Friend and she has a single, Love Rain, which is not a great title for a song, but featuring Saran. And to be honest, the most interesting thing about this to me is I'm always interested in this idea of features and how you select who who you're going to feature on your record. You know, if you're if you do different things, if you're like IU and G Dragon, you know, you you're not competing at all. You do totally different things. But when you have two singers or two rappers, it seems like you want somebody you want somebody great as your feature because that'll bring in fans and interest to make the song better. But on the other hand, you don't want your feature like showing you up, right? And to me, I mean, Yuju is well-known as one of the best vocalists in K-pop. She's sort of in the category of like flawless. You know, she has a great range and a clear, strong voice. And she, you know, she can sing with a little vibrato if she wants to, but usually she, that's not really her style. But the contrast with Saran is so strong. I mean, they are total opposites. If you can have two, you know, great vocalists that are total opposites. Personally, and it seems like most people should prefer Saran, but maybe they don't. But I just, I mean, Saran is one of my favorite vocalists. She has just such a distinct, expressive style. And it's not its not because she's limited vocally in terms of her range and so on. It's just that she sings in it with a totally different style. So I find myself, I mean, Yuju's parts are great, but I'm kind of waiting for Saran to come in in the song and sing her parts. But I will say the combination is really good. Those, those few times when they're singing together, they just have such 
distinct voices and styles, I think that really works well. Yeah, I feel like I keep on saying this about your songs, but that I didn't know that they came out. Like, honestly, I'm surprised that I didn't know. The other two are, I'm not going to say, like, that they're, like, B-class, but, like, they're they're less on my radar, and I think less on, like, the radars of general music watchers. But you two is G-Friend. She's so popular. Serena is so popular. And until you said that we're going to cover this song, I was like, I didn't know this song came out. It's such a good song. I love Yuju. I think she's one of the best vocalists that k-pop has produced in some some years and i i was like and literally since you said that we we're gonna be talking about this i was like i have to listen to this on repeat for hours and hours and hours i think also this is like just something that i i like i really like seeing duets of two females because i feel like a lot of the times you'll get like a lot of like a, a female with a male rapper or a female with like a like you'll get a lot right. of Males or a male males. rapper with a female. Singer. Yeah, I feel like it's more common to get male duets, which is funny, than yeah. female duets. So this was just nice because you kind of got somebody who is a huge K-pop star who is immensely talented, and then you get Saran, who is like, I would say she's K-pop associated at this point because like she did do that song with Sugar last year, and so for her to do this, like it just came together so well. They sounded so good, and you could blatantly hear the difference of what their music, like their singing styles, are, and still recognize that they're both great singers. And it just sounded so nice. Like I really hope more people listen to this song. You know, in Yuju's defense, since I kind of took Saran's side of this, it's, it's interesting that yeah, right now in uh, Produce Forty Eight, it's it's funny, there's sort of a big deal about they're doing group battles and, and covering other people's songs. And the teams that have to do the G-Friend song, it, there's a lot of drama around who's going to have to try to sing Yuju's part because you just can't, it can't be sung, you know, it's it's too hard. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually in the middle of the third episode. The episodes are so long, I'm so behind. Oh, no, but good. so yeah, I, I saw that people were starting to like be concerned about that. And I don't know... If you watched the year end, I think it was Mama last year, where they had a bunch of vocalists from a bunch of different groups. So it was G Friends Yuju and Twice as Jihyo and a few. There was a B2B member and I remember who else. I did see that. They had all the vocalists from like, yeah. four groups. Maybe Solgi was Solgi up there. I don't remember who else was up there. But Yuju just like they were they're all really talented and Yuju just blew them all yeah. away. And you're just like, ah. So she's so so very talented and so very good. And I'm so happy to hear that she's like, I can't figure out what this song was. Like, was it a promotional single or something? Because it, it's not her, you know, like solo debut. So I can't figure out what it, it was for, but I'm happy that it happened. Was it for a drama maybe? I don't know. But thank you for sending it my way, Stephen. <laughs> as far as I could tell, it wasn't, you know, an OST or anything like that, but uh, I could be I could be missing something. I don't know. She has she has done other singles. They tend they tend to be with other people, and I think they are associated with you know shows or, or something else. Thank you guys so much for listening to this uh, episode of Cult Scenes K Pop Unmuted. So you can follow us on all the podcast listening platforms, whether that's uh, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Music, iTunes. Their their podcast thing and SoundCloud, and you can follow us on Twitter, both at 
Cult Scene and K-Pop Unmuted. And you can follow Stephen on Twitter. Stephen, what's your handle? At Tennessee Appeal. And you can follow me at Tamara Writes. And hopefully you guys will join us again for our next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.